What's up, everyone, and welcome to The Corporate Bartender. After a massive hard drive failure, we are jazzed to be back online and able to create some episodes for you that we thought were lost forever. Today's show is one of those, and it's amazing. We are so excited to have Becca Ribbing on the program. If you don't know Becca, it's a good thing you're here. Becca Ribbing is the author of The Clarity Journal and has been a coach for over a decade. She's on a mission to help people break out of the cycles of uncertainty and struggle that hold them back. We're going to talk about going deeper than just self-care, being honest with yourself, getting unstuck, and tapping into your hopes and dreams. So buckle up, TC Beers, grab your favorite cocktail, and let's get right on into it with Becca Ribbing on today's TCB. Welcome to Sky Team's The Corporate Bartender, where we gather some of the best HR and people leaders to discuss what's happening on the people side of business. Now pull up a stool, belly up to the bar, and join us for The Corporate Bartender. Here we are. It's the 20th of October, episode number 105 of the corporate bartender. Today's going to be a good day. We have a guest. We have Becca Ribbing. Say hello, Becca. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us today. Becca's the coach and author of the Clarity Journal. She talks about getting beyond self-care, getting unstuck and finding momentum. So we're going to talk about those things today. So before we get into the interview, uh, just a couple of news items for you. I picked them based on burnout because we talk about burnout on a regular basis here. Um, first article is out of HBR. It's called your burnout is unique. Your recovery will be too. And I, I thought this was interesting because we talk a lot about uh, how ways we can help our employees and keep everybody, you know, checked in and okay and, and engaged. And we talk a lot about burnout here. And, um, the crux of this article was about, you know, the steps that orgs are taking, but the things that the employees have to do, they have to be able to identify the sources of their burnout because it's different for each people, each person rather. Mm-hmm. Um, and what are the things that we can do is there are things we can do to take care of ourselves. And then there's the the benefits that we get out of giving kindness to other people. So this sort of self-compassion and compassion for others was was the the meat of the article, basically being clear about doing that in both directions, which I thought was pretty cool. Well, and and what I thought was really interesting about it was the the, the kind of the context of when you want to do what, because yeah. what they were saying is that if the if the nature of your burnout is about exhaustion, then those acts of self care are the things that are going to have the biggest impact on kind of pulling you out of that. Whereas if your source of burnout is more of like the cynical cynicism side of things, then actually self-care can actually kind of dive you in a little bit deeper (laughs) into that versus doing things for others, acts of compassion and kindness for others actually helps draw you out of that cynical place. Right. So I, I never thought of that in that context, right. That, that there are sort of flavors to your burnout. Right. And, and the, they were the exhaustion part, the, the cynical part. And then there was the like kind of lack of agency, like nothing I do really matters. Like I don't have control Mm. over anything. 
And so then, you know, it, it was more guidance for managers to, um, just, just be, let people verbalize that or, or find their way or encourage them in ways of, do you, you know, want to join a mentoring program or become a mentor? Or do you need, you know, to literally just take time off and, you know, reflect. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a great article because it really talks about different kinds of burnout. Yeah. So uh, love that one. This other one uh, is from Quartz and, uh, I liked it because of the title, a bit of boredom can help us fight our burnout epidemic. And the, the author of the article, he, uh, he founded an HR analytics company and was using some of, of his own research in the article. Um, in a survey of over a thousand workers, they found that uh, a staggering 89% had claimed to experience burnout uh, in some capacity in the past year and 70% said they consider leaving their job for one that offered better resources for the stress of life that they're experiencing, which I thought was interesting compared to the other one that we just talked about, because as, as HR professionals, how do you know what to do? Right. <laughs> right? If people are saying, man, I'm going to leave if you guys don't offer me something and we know that burnout is unique and what, what's the, the menu approach here? What are the things we need to make sure that we're doing? Yeah. Um, but I, I, this concept of, of boredom, I think is interesting because his point was we, we've sort of bought into the idea that multitasking is the way to go. Like we feel like we got to always be doing something. Um, and, and that really hasn't served us well. There was a, another article that I almost put in here, but we, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but how human beings cannot multitask literally. They, they, they can bounce back and forth between tasks very quickly, um, but they can't do two things at one time. And when we try, we end up not doing either very well and getting really, really tired. Um, but we live and work in environments where we feel like we have to be doing something all the time. And I know that when we shifted into, into work from home, we had a lot of employees who felt guilty when they went and did their, you know, kid things during the day and, then there was people who just couldn't, they couldn't define the line between work and not work, right? I mean, it was bad before because we all have our phones and Slack on our phones and all that stuff, but it got even, it got even worse. Um, and, and I thought some other stats in this article, it, it, it was interesting that, you know, a lot of employees said they, they, 73% of his respondents said they, it was their responsibility to take care for their own burnout but in that same sample, 30% of men and 42% of women said they weren't comfortable talking to their supervisors or people at work about it, Yeah, which I thought was pretty interesting, right? So I know it's on me to do, but I don't feel cool talking about it. And, you know, just, just the, the, the nature of, of, of depression and anxiety and those sorts of, of, of mental issues. I mean, there's stigma on it to begin with, but in, in the case where, the majority of people are feeling something and almost half of them don't feel comfortable talking about it. It's a tough spot. Yeah. I think that comes back to something that we've talked about in a lot of different contexts about one of the biggest impacts we have as a, as a leader is by example, right. Of when, when we're able to share what we're struggling with or, 
um, you know, just show that kind of vulnerability of, you know, I'm not, I'm not on my game right now or whatever that is, that kind of opens the door for people to feel like that's going to be safe. If I'm willing to say something, then maybe the, the people on my team will feel comfortable that I can relate in some way to that. And, you know, we've talked about how executives show up in, in front of the organization and are they willing to, you know, as the CEO to stand up in front of people and be vulnerable because that speaks way louder than some, you know, talking points on a leadership development slide, things you should say, right? Like <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really going to be how you show up. And that to me has, such an authentic ring to it. And, but that also puts the onus on the leaders, right? So we talk about that too, that then we get stuck in this position of needing to deal with our own shit while trying to be stewards of everybody else's shit and then try to satisfy the demands of our boss's shit. Right? And it just, that becomes crushing sometimes. That's a hard role to play. Sad. Yeah. Sad trombone. Yeah, no, it, it, it's true. And it, it's funny today, Ruby and I were doing a workshop uh, with a client and it was all about uh, leadership challenge. Uh, and it was about, it was about um, encouraging the heart, right? So it's about sharing compliments and pumping people up and having people's backs. And it was interesting to listen to, to folks talk about it. It's a software development company. And I, I'm totally guilty of this. Like Ruby is way better at this than I am. We were talking about how people are always watching and this sort of your walk the talk thing made me think of it, Lori. Um, as a disc C INFJ, it is not in my hardwiring to be complimentary, to say things, uh, to be vulnerable, right? It's in, it's in my DNA to just get things done and move on to the next thing. And listening to these folks talk about that, they're like, wow, I, I, I know we need to do these things. And, you know, we pointed to some statistics that show how it impacts performance. And that kind of blew their minds because they didn't realize that. And Ru Ruby talked about this one study, and I know she's making her way to the car, so I won't make her talk about it. Are you there, Ruby? <laughs> yeah. Talk about that study, that three-group study that we talked about today. Yeah, Um it was super fascinating to me. They, they did a, a study and they asked a group of people to do a task and let them know that they were going to be assessed. They were going to compare their performance to other groups. Um, so they had, they divided it into three groups. So one group was um, a group who received positive feedback. And the second group was someone was comprised of people who got negative feedback and the third group was uh, people who received no feedback whatsoever. And what they found is that the, the group who got the positive feedback, and it was feedback around, you know, this is where we're headed and this is how we do the work, that sort of correcting or giving them feedback that they were aligned and on the right track had the, the highest performance. And what I thought was super fascinating was the group um, who did not get any feedback at all had a similar like psychological experience as those who received the negative feedback. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa, I never thought about that before because in the absence of information, right, we make stuff up yeah. and, and we don't know. 
And, and I thought, wow, that's a really interesting business case for giving the positive feedback. And we also have to give course correcting feedback, but that, that powerful positive feedback that lets people know they're on the right track is huge. And one of our participants talked about it really lighting a fire within her and giving her passion to keep going forward and innovation and all of that stuff that we're trying to cultivate in organizations. Yeah, that performance impact of no feedback being pretty similar to getting your soul crushed every day, I thought was pretty <laughs> powerful stuff. <laughs> and that's, you know, and that's the, we, sorry, there's a fly in my office. I'm not a crazy person. <laughs> we we but, can't see any fly, Lori. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, you know, I talk about that when, you know, in various settings, but specifically around employee engagement and, and what does that take and what does that mean? And I think that a lot of times, again, we've got a lot of people that we're keeping track of and paying attention to, or, you know, and, and we think, well, they're a high performer. They're doing a great job. I don't, I don't need to spend time there, right? This person is creating a wreck and chaos and a mess. And so I'm going to spend all my time here. And then these, this person submits their resignation to go somewhere yeah. else. And we're like, whoa, what, what happened? And so it, you know, even those high performers, they, they need that acknowledgement um, and, and people need it to different degrees. Some people really, really need it. Some people, a little goes a long way, but, but if we don't give that to the, the high performers, we're, it's going to chunk down their engagement over time. Do any of you watch the good doctor, the autistic doctor, Freddie Highmore does a great job in this role. So he's a resident and my husband and I have been binging the early uh, seasons to get caught up because we were a little late to the party. But he's got that autism spectrum thing going on where he, I mean, he makes me look subtle and <laughs> And, uh, you know, maybe I'm just undiagnosed. But anyway, um, <laughs> although we've often said it, if it was anything, it would be Tourette's. But... Um, <laughs> True. <laughs> but he he walks out of a, a day of surgery having been coached by his manager, the chief medical officer. You have to give these people what they need, but they need two totally different things. And that's not working for him. Mm -hmm. mm. So he's got these two women standing there, both first year residents. He hands one of them a list and says, um, these are all the things you did right today, because I know you need affirmation. And then he turns to the other one. He said, these are all the things you did wrong today, because you need to know I've got your back. Huh. Oh. oh. And they both walked away smiling. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. And that one has just stuck with me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Say, okay, what, what does this high performer really need? Mm -hmm. What does this high potential mm -hmm. really need? And how can I give it to them differently mm -hmm. in a way that resonates with them? Yeah. And how but, cool is that, right? The, the notion of <clears throat> his tag, right? Here's a list of everything that you screwed up today, right? Which 
automatically puts someone on their back foot and goes, well, okay, how do I process that? But then to say, because you need to know I've got your back, that totally lets the air out of the, the defensiveness yep. there. That's yeah. cool. Very cool. Very cool. Well, burnout, stress, anxiety, getting stuck. That's a really good segue into, into our guest today. Becca Ribbing, she's the author of The Clarity Journal. She's been a coach for over a decade, and she is on a mission to help break people out of the cycles of uncertainty and struggle that hold them back. She helps, she helps women going back and forth with the big seemingly endless question of what to do next, stop going around in circles, and finally figure out what they truly want to do, right? We talked about this a few weeks ago with regard to the great resignation and everybody reassessing what they want to do and be in life and uh, people deciding that, you know, the job I fell into 20 years ago isn't maybe the thing I want to do for the rest of my life. Becca helps people get clarity around that. So let's give Becca a warm TCB welcome. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, Becca, good to see you. Thanks for joining us today. Um, We always ask folks when they, when they come on the show, to tell us a few things about themselves. Um, we, we'd like to know, how did you get here to this place where you're an author and a coach and you're doing what you're doing? And if you had any weird or interesting jobs along the way, we'd like to hear about those as well. So tell us a little bit about your journey from, from getting to where you were to being in this place here. Okay, so do I get to start with a like funny job? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, do it. I was, Eric and Lori were talking right before I got on, uh, or right before we went live. And I was telling them that my college job, my first job in college was working in a labor union in their legal department. And then they found out that my grandfather and great-grandfather both had um, been in that labor union and this was in DC. So this was the national like headquarters for the labor union. And I think that was my craziest job because all I really had to do was like kind of keep track of all the paperwork. And obviously they, um, this was in-house counsel, but they outsourced an awful lot of their legal work. So I got to see all the stuff coming back and forth and the stories out of there were just so surreal like it was so much fun that job just like the level of office gossip that i got to have access to was a lot of fun so i've been oh sorry go ahead no i was gonna say that's awesome Uh, i love i love jobs with juicy stories you know and i feel like i've taken that on like throughout the rest of my life. I love other people's office gossip. I'm actually super sad. One of my friends who had the best office office gossip just got a new job. And I'm like, I'm really happy for you because that place was crazy. But on the other hand, I really miss this job. <laughs> it makes for good conversations. It makes for great conversation. Um, so yeah, so I... Um, I've been a coach for a long time because I basically did what everyone does in their twenties. You know, you go to college, you think, you know, everything you get out of college, you get your first job and you're like, Whoa, this wasn't what I was expecting. And I really threw myself into that. I like, I just, I 
read everything I possibly, possibly could. And as I was reading and learning, I started helping all my, all my friends go through the same stage because everyone goes through that where you get your degree and you, you think you know what you're going to do get into the real world. And you're like, my professors had no concept of the real world (laughs) at all. (laughs) Or, you know, a lot of my friends also like a lot of why some things end up in dead end jobs and don't know how to move forward. And as I was helping other people go through this stage, I realized I was really good at it. And I really enjoy helping people move forward. I think one of my very formative memories of childhood, and I think a lot of people have a memory like this. I was probably 10, 11. And my grandfather was picking me up from a friend's house in his old beat up car. I'm not even sure it had AC. It was in the summer. I remember being hot and gross and, um, and him just like complaining about his work. Now this is the bricklayer. This is the guy who was a bricklayer. So construction can be a little intense. Um, and just going on and on about how awful it was. And I was just sitting there like, well, why don't you get a new job? <laughs> <laughs> and I said it because I didn't know any better. And he's like, like, you know, I mean, he was born in 1928. Like, we don't get new jobs. We like, don't get we, new jobs. <laughs> <laughs> we stick with this until we die. <laughs> right. And right. um, I think that was really formative. So I like anytime a friend would start complaining to me about their job, I'd be like, okay we're going to fix this. And I think that I still have that. Like, I love helping people through that process because as you know, like you guys have this like daily window into it. It's like when someone is not happy where they are, Mm -hmm. it's a drag on the organization. It's certainly a real drag on them. Mm -hmm. And it's really funny because I see this from so many different angles because I get a lot of people who hire me and three weeks later get fired. Like, cause they hired me knowing that they were so unhappy that they had to move, but then they're mad that they got fired. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really funny, but it is what it is. And I kind of, I'm really excited about being on here right now because I'm getting to see like, what, uh, what did you call it? Like, I'm totally blanking on the great, I keep wanting to say great, oh, great yeah, resignation. Like, great, thank you. Great resignation. Because yeah. I'm seeing that on so many levels and it's been really fascinating mm-hmm. to see, like I've, I've been a coach since before the 08 downturn Mm-hmm. It took people a long time to get jobs for a while after yeah. that. And to have it flip so quickly has been mm-hmm. fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I, I bet you've got interesting stories of people who have in the, in finding their clarity and getting unstuck have changed directions wildly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there, like a lot of people have that, like, Oh, maybe I should do this. And by the time they get to me, like, let's face it, people don't hire me unless they're very unhappy with what they're doing. You know, you just wouldn't, you wouldn't bother. Um, Or if you felt really stuck. Um, I get a lot of people who have gone through quite a bit of college who hire me because all of a sudden, you know, they've gotten their master's or they're thinking about getting a PhD. And it's like, I cannot make a mistake because this is such an investment of time. And I think that it's just really interesting when someone kind of gets in on a certain track, they'll start talking to me and like, 
first 20 minutes of the conversation, it's all about what they should do, what they should do, what they should do, what they should do. And it, you can tell it's making them miserable. Mm-hmm. And terrible finally, word. It's a terrible word, should. Yeah. It is. <laughs> and then finally, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to stop you for a sec because I can run with this. Like, we can figure out what the next logical step is from here. But you already know the next logical step from here. So you got to tell me everything that's going on in your mind. Like, are you thinking about becoming a Bikram yoga instructor or like opening up a coffee shop? You know, like really, like I usually throw out like kind of funny ones because it gets people feeling less Mm-hmm. like self-conscious about like, oh yeah, I want to go explore art. Like, mm-hmm. okay, well we could talk. I mean, yeah, <laughs> we can talk about anything, honestly. And I think that, <sighs> I think it's really hard because there are a lot of shoulds and your boss and your mentors and your parents and your spouse all have this idea of what is like the right path. Mm-hmm. And it's uncomfortable to explore that with people that you really know and like and trust until you actually feel like you already have the decision, but you can't mm-hmm. get to that decision-making place without right. those conversations. Yeah. What, if I could ask a, a question, so what do you find to be, or, or is there, it, it might be very different per person, but is there sort of a zinger of a question, like a, like a, a, a path that you put people on or a question that you ask that really gets them to the aha, like how, how do you kind of expedite that? Right. Cause people, you know, people want to, if they're at this point, like they want to get to it, like, how do you get them to it? So I don't think there is one question. Um, and as they point out, I, I wrote the clarity journal, the clarity journal is about a hundred writing prompts and quotes to kind of help jar your thought process and how I came up with the idea was I was at my own like cycle where I was kind of spinning. I didn't know where exactly to go next. Um, I had just come out of kind of a bad space. Um, like I had my second child, (laughs) first trimester of that pregnancy, I had a bad chiropractic adjustment and ended up having to use a cane for most of that pregnancy. And then we, in the third trimester, while I was like kind of disabled, we moved from DC to Seattle (laughs) and then poor little kiddo ended up having a ton of ear infections. And so I was really treading water for about two years. Mm -hmm. And as I came out of that, because eventually, you know, life calms down and we get our feet under us again. And it's like, okay, now what? I had given up a lot. Like I really was just working with the clients that I already had or like word of mouth. I wasn't really doing like mm-hmm. that much to grow my business because it was just so intense. And so I was spinning around with a friend going over and over like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And, or I don't know. It was always, I don't know. And I think a lot of people have a phrase that they say over and over a specific question that they kind of are obsessing and noodling on Mm -hmm. that they can't get past. And my friend is delightful and wonderful. And everyone should have a friend like her. She (laughs) stopped me and was like, okay, Becca, you're a coach. What would you tell yourself? And I was like, oh, (laughs) shut up. (laughs) I got off that call pretty quickly. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> what do you mean? I wrote and wrote down 30 things right off the bat that I asked mm-hmm. people. And 
as I was writing them down and then answering them for myself, it's like, this is kind of gold, like really mm-hmm. just having the questions yeah. to get yourself out of that rote way of thinking, like however you are spiraling on the question that you are trying to answer, mm-hmm. like getting yourself outside of that to move forward is just so important. Mm-hmm. Um, So I don't know. I don't really think there is a question. I think what happens is I ask five or 10 Mm -hmm. questions and that's when they start relaxing. That's when they're starting to really get into the swing of looking at this in a different way. And I think that that's what is actually really important and probably the hardest thing for an HR person to do because you don't have time. And quite frankly, you're (laughs) not there to convince them to quit. (laughs) Right. Most of the time. I mean, there's probably people you really wish you could convince to quit. (laughs) (laughs) They all Um, work for Laurel. They all work for Laurel. (laughs) (laughs) Not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that it's just like really important to have that like, okay, so how are we going to look at this problem in a different way? Yeah. Like, and, and I think bringing it back to your strengths, I think the thing that is the most surprising to me as a coach, and this happens with almost every client, I will be talking to them and, you know, first, second session, I start trying to reflect back strengths that I am hearing of theirs. Mm -hmm. And the first time I do it with almost every person, they do this. Like, oh, and, and like the, I don't know whether everyone's seeing this or whether this will also be a podcast, but it's like, they do the like scrunched up eyebrows and like, I'm not sure that I agree with you. And I think you might be full of it. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I like, I'm like, no, seriously, like, listen, like pay attention to this. Like you, I can hear it in your voice. Yeah. I can hear yeah. what your stories, this is your strength. The reason why you were having a hard time recognizing it as your strength is because it is easy for you. Right. So you don't value it. Totally. Like I, I think that in school, we spend so much time like with the like compliment sandwich, like from our parents and our teachers, <laughs> like, Oh, like, yeah, you did great in math. That's fantastic. Whatever. Like, but you really need to improve your writing yeah. <laughs> or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And, and we get used to just like, oh, it's great. We did this, but I really need to focus on like the thing that you're bad at. And that's not really helpful in the real world. Uh, I mean, it can, it, I mean, there are things you need to do, but like long-term career goal strategies, it's not super helpful. Right. And as I get them more and more comfortable with, no, this is a strength, like so much strength comes out because a lot of times it'll end up coming out that they are not necessarily a great coworker because they're getting mad at people that don't have that strength instead right. of recognizing, especially if they're in management, like, like they don't have that, they have that strength. It should be easy to all 10 people that are working for me. Mm-hmm. And then they're not valuing the strengths of the people that are working for them. Right. And as soon as I can start really pointing that out, it shifts. Like yeah. micromanaging starts shifting. Um, mm-hmm. It's really funny when I have a client that I'm like, oh, you're the micromanager. It's like, well, and I know these stories all make sense to you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. So something else you said that made me kind of draw a parallel to 
a lot of what we do at Cable Labs is around innovation, right? It's about technology and what's next and the horizon and the into the future. And one of the things that holds people back from being able to ideate and to really just explore is they're constantly in evaluation mode, right? They think of something and then constantly talk themselves out of it. That won't work. Yeah. That's already been tried. Nobody will believe that. That's a dumb idea. And I, I would guess the same could be true for ourselves, right? We get in this, the, I'm unhappy. And every time I think of doing something else, there's a hundred reasons why I can't do it. Right. And so you never get beyond the, you know, the, the evaluation of why it won't work. And so, you know, having, having this kind of, um, you know, framework to say no evaluation, just, just answer. Right. And, and you're not going to let anybody down. Nobody's going to judge you. This is just you, you get to do you. (laughs) Right. So you don't need to talk about what you should do. It's, you know, just be authentic. And so I, I'm sure that's very freeing to people to feel like I can have these thoughts without judging them immediately. I, yeah. I love I love that it's called the Clarity Journal, right? Because that word in and of itself implies that sort of privacy to self, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where where you you're not as evaluative, right? Yeah. I've never looked at it that way before, but you're right. It's like secret. It's yours. You don't need to share it. It's Mm -hmm. like, it's just very authentic to you. I think that also like you can be honest. When we are evaluating, we're putting ourselves more in like a social media mindset of like, okay, this needs to be like a a pretty little package and look good. Yeah. And, and we don't, we've spent enough time looking at our own greatest hits real. We don't need to do that. Right? <laughs> so, so Chuck asked a question in the chat. He said, what does a clarity journal most commonly lead people to discover about themselves? I think that the clarity journal most commonly leads people to discover that they actually knew the answer already uh-huh. and they weren't comfortable with it because they didn't let them explore it deeply it never got past that like initial like what you were saying like that initial like just nope can't work like Mm -hmm. the negativity bias Mm -hmm. uh because it can work i mean even if someone came to me and said hey i want to be a artist like that's great. Let's like really take a serious look at what that would entail. Like there are successful artists, there are successful artists we don't know about, right? Like you don't have to be making like millions of dollars on one painting. Right. 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 And, um, you know, and there's also successful artists that are like, that find an interesting corporate niche or, you know, take an interesting direction. I think that's one of the things that, I'm a big believer in just like, if you know your strengths and you really are allowing yourself not to push away your dreams, Mm -hmm. then you can get on a better path, even if the next step isn't the right thing. I think the other thing is when we were talking about negativity bias and like, can't do that, can't do that. I think there's also, when we're talking about life purpose, I think that there is this feeling like you need to know what you're going to be doing when you're 68 and retiring. Right. And yeah. I caution everyone that's under 67 that, that <laughs> is not 
a reasonable assumption because we are all growing and changing. Anyone who's listening to this right now is interested in like in personal development, in go in, in growing. And in order to grow, you can't know what the answer to the question is 30 years down the line, 20 years down the line, even five years down the line. If you're not really embracing the fact that you are going to grow and change and this is going to change with you. And so purpose and passion to me is really more about like thinking about what would be the next greatest challenge and what that looks like and maybe like gaming out a bit 10 15 years down the line but i laugh i was um you know facebook and someone posted a job posting of like social media manager must have 15 years experience and <laughs> all right so okay great work? you had you had my space experience right. like what Woo. like, like <laughs> Like I, at a certain level, it's like, it's ridiculous. I don't know whether that was a real job posting or like proving a point. Yeah. Uh, I could see it going either way, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> but it's really important to know that like our, the jobs are changing so fast that if you're really trying to game out 20 years in the future, you're going to miss. That's Yeah. <laughs> Well, you, you know, it's interesting, Becca, I think we all go into to our careers with these set of norms that we take from growing up and going to school. And, you know, <clears throat> for I'm not sure how old you are, but for Generation Xers, we're in this weird spot of our dads worked at companies forever. They got a job out of college and they worked there until they got a gold watch and called it a day. Um and we don't really do that. Our kids have no concept of that. <laughs> right. And and it's interesting to me. I mean, I, I started my first business in 2005. I had a one-year-old and a four-year-old. And if you don't think the scariest conversation in the world is coming home and saying, hey, honey, quit my job today. going to start my own thing. Don't really have a plan, but I'll figure it out. Um, and, and the epiphanal moment, that sort of breakthrough, that getting unstuck, breaking my own paradigm, you know, having gone to school and then to grad school and then got a job and bought a house and had a kid and done all the American things that you do. Um, I was petrified of not having another job, but I took a job with the company, big Fortune 50 company, was supposed to be great. I moved, I got there and I hated it. Mm -hmm hated it. And, and there were, there were six other people hired into the same role as me at the same level in different facets of the business. And we started around the same time. We used to get together for coffee once a month. I worked there six months and I lasted the longest of the six. <laughs> That's how bad it was. It was so bad that I could not do it anymore. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't bring myself to go back and do that anymore. So rather than do that, I, jumped off the back of the boat, right? Into, into the cold, dark water. But the epiphany for me, the thing that got me unstuck was, was getting to that point where I, did, I realized I didn't need a job job to make a living. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what it is for, for, it's different for different people. But for me, the, just understanding that, oh, if I make some money here and a little bit more money over here and I can push all that together and that makes a job, oh, okay, I can do that. 
Mm-hmm. That's not that's not big, unwieldy, or scary. Whereas two years prior, hey Eric, should you go get another job, a better job, a higher level job, a more bigger salary job, or should you start your own thing? I would have said, go get a job. That's the only option. Yeah. So when you're coaching people in this space, how do you get them? How do you get them out of their own way? Mm. You know, I think I have an easier time than you do because (laughs) by the time they get to me, they are desperate Mm. and they are ready for change. Um, now there's also, it, it's gotten, as I've gotten older, this has gotten better, but there is a subset of men who are at a certain age that hire me just to tell them how great they are. <laughs> they don't last very long with me <laughs> because I don't, and they get very frustrated. And, <laughs> but pretty much everyone that hires me just wants the problem fixed. Mm-hmm. And so they're really no longer in <laughs> that, like, they are really no longer in that kind of combative thing. The other thing is, is like a lot of times the reason why they are angry, the reason why they are ready to leave, the reason whatever. So many people want their problems to be fixed for them. Um, and I know you're going to be like, yeah, working with people right now. Uh, you know, cause they'll come to me and I'll be just like, I'll hear all the stories. Of like, I'm so mad at my boss for not giving me that promotion. I'm so mad at this. I'm like, I've been here for so long. Why aren't you valuing me enough to move up? And I'm just like, I get it. I totally get it. And I can empathize and commiserate with you till the cows come home. On the other hand, you haven't been happy here for two years. Why didn't you find another job? Mm -hmm. Like at a certain level, you just have to take responsibility for yourself unless like literal promises were made that were broken, which does happen, but honestly doesn't happen as much as the other scenario. Um, yeah. It's just so important because like, so Laura um, posted a comment about like having years of like the older generations, like years of commitment. And then you get laid off right before retirement age. I know so many people that that has happened to, and they're not like companies are not going to be loyal to you. The other thing I find all the time, and you guys are not going to like this probably, but like, I will hear people, I'll hear your top performers, like totally tearing their hair out. And there's a certain, almost always women, um, will tell me, oh, I can't look for a job right now. I will be screwing over my coworkers. If I leave right now, I will start job, job searching in six weeks, in six months. And I'm like, you, you cannot look at it that way. Like, I am sorry. Like if they are taking advantage of you, if this is a toxic environment, mm-hmm. you just have to start. Job. It might take you six months to get a job. Like, I mean, not right now it's gonna take you like two weeks, but, <laughs> um, I mean, like I have a, I have a friend who got laid off eight days ago and she's had two job offers. Um, (laughs) it's, it's surreal and it's fun on my, my end. I love those (laughs) negotiations. (laughs) Um, but like, it's just really important to recognize like you are serving no one. And if you are unhappy, like there is just, 
if you are unhappy, you are unhappy. And if you're unhappy, especially because the environment isn't good, then you just need to move on because you're not going to probably change it. And you've almost certainly tried to change it. It's not like you've just sat there passively. I'm sure you've talked to your boss at least once or twice about the fact that 14 hour work weeks isn't sustainable or 14 hour days aren't sustainable. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times there's nothing your boss can do about it. I think that's the thing that like really is hard for me. Like, when they start getting really mad at their boss, I'm like, well, their boss didn't choose this either. So you are really mad at like a level of management you don't even have access to just move on. And I feel like there's kind of two different buckets because I've, you know, over, over the years, whether it's helping a, a leader coach an employee or an employee coming directly to, you know, complain or whatever. And there, there's the, there's the bucket of employees to what you said, where they just, I call them the, the make it awesome for me bucket. Like <laughs> I want to, I wouldn't put in this much effort and I want you to make it awesome for me every day, all the time. Right. And that's immature and not going to happen. And right. But then they, they, they kind of get into this victimy place of like, you know, why can't I have it all? And I, and that's part of my coaching to leaders is like, that's not your job to make it awesome for them every day, right? There's, there's a lot of things we do to support and engage and, and lift up and all of those things, but the make it awesome for me, people, you're never going to satisfy them. Right. And then there is the other bucket where I'm striving. I want to achieve there's, there's more for me and I can't get to it. And those are those conversations. This, you, you may not have a next step here in the organization, not because you're not valued and not because you're not awesome. We can't create jobs, right? We can't all be VPs. (laughs) And so sometimes you work for a bank, everybody's a VP at the bank. (laughs) And sometimes that means you have to go somewhere else in order to scratch that itch or, you know, be, be in an environment that, fits your values better. And it's, it's not because you're wrong or because the company's wrong. It's a, it's a fit issue at this point. Well, and I think it's also, I mean, even like within that subset, there's just a lot of people where it's, it's just not going to happen on your time frame. Sure. Like it yeah. might happen in five years, but by that time you're going to be the toxic employee and right. so not, you're also going to get passed over mm-hmm. for it. And I think it's just really important to recognize that. Like if it's not on the company's time frame, then you just, you do need to take yourself out of it. I also find it funny because, oh, I live in Seattle and we have a lot of like extremely, um, what's the word? Uh, like, and we've got like the Gates Foundation, we've got Microsoft, we've got Amazon, we've got a lot of high level jobs. And the thing that always kills me about all of them is like, you know, like Gates Foundation is a good example. They've got like, you know, people with like master's degrees in public health, like working as admin assistants and Mm -hmm. it's like to get your foot in the door, Mm -hmm. but there's no way you're going to get promoted quickly enough. And then you're going to be unhappy. And any company that does that, where it's like, where they have enough prestige that they can hire Mm -hmm. like someone who's way overqualified for the position. I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. don't do that. And I'm sure you're always like looking out for that, but it's also really interesting to me when I hit someone, when I get someone who wants to be coached, who's like in their sixties, who's run into that situation where they got let go just too early and now they don't know what to do and they can't get to that level of management again. And 
and I ended up dumbing down their resume and they're always yeah. really mad at me. Like, mm-hmm. no, but this is me. Like, even if I can do all these jobs mm-hmm. and they want them, they're like, why isn't anyone calling me for this like easy job? And I'm like, because <laughs> you're going to be bored in two months right. and not happy. You're not taking this job. You're trying to take the next job. And that rarely leads to a happy team. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Super interesting. Oh my goodness. Guys, any questions from the peanut gallery here for mm-hmm. Becca about the clarity journal, about getting unstuck, about mindful productivity. I was just going to ask, hopefully the journal isn't a substitute for you. (laughs) You know, I think it can be, honestly. I think it depends on how honest you are with yourself. And some people are better at being honest with themselves than others. I think that any person that was doing it, I'd caution them, like, you know, give it a month, give it two months, even like go through it if by the end of it, you're still stuck, get help, like whatever that looks like. I wrote it because I'm very aware that coaching isn't accessible to most people. And that level of really having someone guiding you through those questions is just, it's expensive and it's time consuming. And, you know, if you're a mom who's like working full time and has little kids or any, you know, there's a whole different, lot of different permutations, why it might not be, possible in the moment to deal, to go through coaching. It's, it's kind of an alternative. That's great. (laughs) It's true. And I would argue that if you can find the money in your couch for that spin class or the personal trainer, you can find it for this. We just deprioritize this because to your point earlier, Becca, right? This whole life momentum that we have, right? it, it is what it is and jobs are jobs and I have to do, I have to be here forever because that's what I chose. Right. Yeah. Um, getting out of our own way. I think it takes, it takes getting to that some sort of break point where to your point, when they hire you, they're ready, right? Because they have to actually put skin in the game. I have to cut a check. This is dating myself. I have to Venmo you. Let me try <laughs> Let me rephrase that. I got to Venmo you some cash right now so that I can get this shit moving. Right. Mm -hmm. But until I get to that point, I can come up with a thousand and one reasons why I should not fuck up my steady gig Mm -hmm. because I have responsibilities. I've got bills to pay and kids to put through college and a hundred and one reasons why Mm -hmm. that's more important than this. And, And I think people miss, people miss the, they get, and, and sometimes I, I feel like it's that, that again, with the, the victim thing, I don't have any choices here, right? Like I, I have to do this there. I have no choices here. And that can be a comfortable place to justify why you get to feel pissed off every day, right? Well, I don't have any choices. I'm just going to bitch about this every day. And, and we, we forget the opportunity loss of just the, <laughs> the, the days you don't get back and that tomorrow is not promised. 
and your kids are watching you and your spouse or your partner or your loved ones are, are, are living with you through this angst. And, and is, is that the legacy or the experience you want them to remember? And it's hard to separate those two, right? Cause I think we get into that. I don't have any choices here. And then we're just justified in our misery, but there's so much loss in opportunity to live a different way. Yeah. I think there's also a lot of, um, just like, I'm going to do this tomorrow. I'm going to do this tomorrow. Yeah. I'm going to do yeah. this tomorrow. Sure. And I, and the thing that's really hard for me is I think that I get a lot of women in their mid, like early to mid sixties that are trying to figure this out all of a sudden, because they're an empty nester. A lot of them have just gone through a divorce and they really never gave themselves the space to do this yeah. until now. And then, and now they're like, really struggling with, is it too late? Like, and I'd argue it's never really too late because most people aren't retiring in their sixties anyway, but, uh, unless they're forced True. to, mm-hmm. um, but like, it's just, it's very painful. And I, I actually like kind of harp on it. It's like, it's a soapbox I get on because it is easy for you to think right now, that this isn't the right time. It's always going to not be the right time. Right. Mm-hmm. It's never fun to job search. Mm-hmm. And so there's always an excuse, mm-hmm. but yeah. I see this playing out and when it plays out, it's sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like a couple what, of com- yeah. Go ahead, Lori. I just, I just like what, what Ruby said, right. Asking the question, what will your life look like in six months to a year? If you continue with the current path. Kind of the same, maybe <laughs> as miserable as it is today, or maybe worse in some cases, right? But that's those are those those kind of get you out of the it's not the right time. Well, you know, that's, that's hard to overcome. I had a friend who was dealing with a sort of a crossroads in life issue, and her very, very Italian grandmother said to her, mm-hmm. If you do the hard thing now, a year from now all this will have been behind you for a year. Mm-hmm. If you don't do anything next year, you're going to be right where you are today. Yeah. Well, and I think also, even if you do it today, three years down the road, you're going to do it again. And I think that if you can start today's new path with that in mind, it also makes it less painful when you hit it. You can start mm. noticing yourself getting bored, noticing that this is no longer a challenge, no longer noticing that you're no longer engaged mm-hmm. and just recognize this is that pattern. Mm-hmm. Do I see a reasonable like light at the end of the tunnel within this company? Like, mm-hmm. is there like a, a mechanism for which I am going to hit my next life challenge or do I need to start looking elsewhere? Mm-hmm. So awesome. Thank you, Becca, for being with us today. It has been great having you here. Let's give her all a big round of applause, right? All right. Becca, how does how do people connect with you? How do they find you if they want to break out of their own ruts or they've got a friend who needs to get some coaching? always happy to take a friend um let's see i'm at beccaribbing.com becca b-e-c-c-a ribbing r-i-b-b-i-n-g and you can find the clarity journal at amazon everything at amazon even the clarity journal 
Guys, thank you. If you have questions for Becca, please reach out to her. Um, if you uh, would like to to pick up the Clarity Journal, it makes a fine Christmas gift, I hear. That's what I hear. All right, let's get on to our funny things, our good feel story and our cocktail, and get on out of here. Today's funny thing number one, <laughs> this one actually prompted me to go follow this, this Twitter page called Graph Crimes. Average female height. Apparently, Latvia is breeding giants, and Indian women are tiny. <laughs> I don't know. So I don't know what's, right? I don't know what's going on with the relative proportions of the elves being burnt, born in India. Funny thing, <laughs> funny thing number two. Any of you TJ's fans can uh, can can relate here. The only thing that sucks about Trader Joe's is that I always have to go to a real grocery <laughs> store afterwards. Right. <laughs> Don't have anything I actually need. <laughs> but I got some really cheap flowers and a bottle of two buck chuck, which I think is four bucks now. <laughs> uh, this was this one was funny. Uh, thinking again about how the names Arctic and Antarctica just means bears and no bears. <laughs> And I actually looked that one up because I was like, are they talking about polar bears? And they're actually not. So when 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 these were discovered, right, the Arctic region is is called that because you can see the celestial constellations, Ursa Major and Ursa Minor, uh-huh. in the northern hemisphere. In the southern hemisphere, you cannot see them. So bears and no bears. bears. Oh my gosh. I never knew that. See, you're welcome. The more you know. (laughs) Uh, This kid, this kid has it figured out. She's eight. When I'm 100 years old, I will be tired of everything and everyone. So I will tell everyone I'm going to Canada, but actually go to the Bahamas and live in a (laughs) tiny hut with my tiny dog. I will order fish tacos when I'm hungry and live my best life with no crap. She wins. That's fantastic. Eight years old. Has it figured out? Lie to everyone about where you are and live your best life with no crap. How many people are doing that right now? Oh, the next funny thing. What's the weirdest thing you ever got in trouble at work for? HR people will appreciate this. I was accused of being disrespectful because the six people I CC'd on an email weren't listed in order of seniority. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, and my favorite funny thing today, having just been in the Northeast, home of donkeys, this sign. Uh-oh, spicy pumpkin. Ha, ha, ha. Pumpkin tasty. <laughs> I don't have any idea what that means, but I could not stop laughing when I read it. I said it out loud just so I could hear what it sounded like. That's amazing. I figured the dude who did the sign that morning was high as fuck. I was going to say, I think there were some chemical influences, perhaps. Oh, today's good feel story. I saw this clip on the news, uh, in, in the news feed, and I had to watch it because it's just pretty awesome. 41 seconds. Here you go. And, and so, so Mr. Premium, Premium is going to be out here every single Monday and, and Wednesday, Wednesday skateboarding, skateboarding with everyone. everyone. And 
and trying his best to basically show them exactly what to do. Victor Williams delivering his report from the skateboard. I, wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, today's semi-quarantine cocktail is called Take the Money and Run. It's a riff on the moneymaker. You're going to need a quarter ounce of pear-flavored vodka, $84,000, half ounce of melon liqueur, preferably Midori, one exhibition called Work It Out, which explores people's relationship with work, the juice of half a lemon, so this artist, they wanted to pay him to redo an old piece. He sent them two blank canvases <laughs> and called it Take the Money and Run. He said he decided to keep the money after rejecting the idea that reproducing art that was more than a decade old was a waste of time and it was going to cost him money. So he thought, he thought, you know what, I'll make a statement here. And he said... Taking the money is the art. <laughs> <laughs> this happened in a museum in Denmark, and it just cracked me up. Two canvases. He shipped them in big wooden crates with all the packaging, like it was you know something that needed to be protected. And the guy that opened them up, he said, he said, yeah, I, la I laughed when I, when I opened up. <laughs> and, then, and then, and then, the close of the article said. The uh, the 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 art house there has not filed any legal charges yet, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. That, that's funny. Can you contractually obligate someone to make art? Right. It is. That's it. I've made it. You have it. <laughs> right. The art is taking your money. That's the piece. Wow, eighty-four thousand dollars. So look. Just like Becca said, you can be an artist if you want to. You just have to have guts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys, thank you so much. Wednesdays are my favorite days. You are my favorite people. Becca, thank you again for being here. More claps for Becca. <laughs> you guys have a great night. We'll see you next week. We're going to talk about Women in the Workplace 2021, that thing from three weeks ago that we didn't get to because you're a chatty bunch. That's going to be next week. <laughs> We'll see you next week. Becca, you're welcome here anytime. We hope to see you again soon. Take care, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you had a good time and learned a thing or two at today's happy hour, please share it with your friends. If you want to join our tribe, head on over to skyteam.cloud forward slash TCB or email us at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again, and remember, you've always got friends at the Corporate Bartender.